This is Pastor Matt Harmless, and this is sermon number 31 from the Gospel According to Luke. Thank you for listening to Edge's Sermon Audio. If you have questions, always feel free to contact me or the church. Thank you for listening. I'd like to uh, pray, and then we're going to read. Uh, actually, I'm going to read Luke chapter 6 so far, and then I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to read this sermon this sermon on the plane up to the point where we're ready for, and then I will uh, stop and pray and we'll dig into our portion for today. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak. Do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good and lend. Expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful. And the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back. To you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you again for your word. I ask now that you would bless as we look into this next portion of this sermon that you preached. God, I ask that you would guide and direct my words, my thoughts, and then my words as they, Lord, as I, they come out of my mouth and they're projected into this room, I ask that you would guide the very words that are being said today. 
In Christ's name I ask this. Amen. William Barclay is a commentator, and he says this of Jewish preaching. He says, the Jews called preaching teraz, which means stringing beads. The rabbis held that the preacher must never linger more than a few moments on any topic, but in order to maintain interest, must move quickly from one topic to another. Jewish preaching, therefore, often gives us the impression of being disconnected. Now, I mention this for two reasons. One, I wonder if I've lingered too long on any of these topics. Don't agree. Call it a chuckle. I didn't, good thing I didn't hear any amens because I can talk a long time. Um, but more importantly, do you feel that when you read this sermon? Do you ever feel that way? Like this sermon on the plane, doesn't it feel like it's like this and then it talks about this and he's talking about this and he's talking about this and he's talking about this? This is one of the reasons why it's like that. You know, unlike us who can, you know, download and listen to sermons and pull up old sermons and everything else, Christ had these opportunities where he'd preached in these public spaces and many times he would hit on all these things and hit on all of them. I haven't spoken on this before, but... This particular sermon, I don't want you to think of it, this sermon that Jesus preaches, Sermon on the Plain, is not like it was just one particular one, but Luke is taken together. This is, this is what it was like. If you were wanting to know what was it like when Jesus preached, this is what it was like. His disciples would many times come and ask later, hey, remember that thing you said? Could you explain that? And we have examples of them asking those questions and Christ coming later and going, Okay, let me take this one thing and expand on it. That's what we do when we preach now. We exposit or expound, right? Those words are synonyms to each other. Expound on what the word says. So we're taking each of these topics that Jesus hit and we're expanding on them. What does this mean? What is this? How does this relate to us? This next portion that we're going to talk about has to do with following the leader. You guys ever play follow the leader when you are a kid? Okay, that's what we're talking about today. In fact, as I was thinking about today's next, this next portion, these next few verses, thinking about that whole idea of following the leader, I had to ask, and I don't have this in my notes, so I'm just kind of winging it a little bit here. But did anybody ever used to watch those old kung fu movies? Yeah, I, I saw a few hands. I, I, you always notice when you watch those old kung fu movies, there'd be like there, there would be a, like this master, master whatever. And then he would have like a school, and he'd have his guys, right? And then, then there'd be other, in that town, there'd be other schools, that the, this master, this, and master. And sometimes the masters would fight each other in the kung fu. That's what we were wanting anyway. We're like, yes, fight, because that's what we're, why we're watching the movie. That mentality is a lot like what actually plays into this time period. We have a very much different today. I mean, you want to know something, you can grab a handheld computer, right, and look up almost anything, and Google can tell you. you say, hey, Google, what is, what is, oh, I probably just alarmed somebody's phones when I just said that. And you ask Google a question, and Google goes, oh, this is what, this is what it is, or this is what you did, or this is what's going, and you know, here's the answer to this question. Like, and, and I do it all the time. What's this word mean, or what is this thing here, or we're, we're, we're on vacation, Charity even took a picture of a bug. We were on a, a little Mississippi riverboat cruise we took, and, 
and she's taking pictures of bugs on the side. What is that? And it, it told her it was a mayfly, which is what I said, by the way. I knew what it was. You didn't need Google. But this teacher-disciple relationship is something that we don't understand completely the way that they understood it. They would have their, their rabbi, their teacher, and people would align themselves up to that. And that's where they would gather information. We have it a little bit different today, and it's got its problems, and we're going to talk about some of those today. But it's important for us as we think through what Christianity looks like. That was part of the model. Master and disciples. Teacher, students. And then we learn before this is all over that what Jesus does when he was here before he gets done. In fact, his very last words before he ascends back after he's accomplished all his work is to say this. Now you guys go. I mean, what he did... We are to emulate as he gathered disciples. We are to do. That's what it says. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go and do this. And then we see that's the story of Acts. That's exactly what his people did. The disciples went and they started making disciples. And those disciples started making disciples. And those disciples were making disciples. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples all the way back. By the way, if you ever wonder about this, that's what Christians are. Did you know that Christians, that's really, if you go, what is a Christian? A Christian is simply a follower of Jesus. We have this little tidbit when Paul, after Paul is saved on the way to, to Damascus, he gets saved and God interjects himself into his life and he goes to Antioch and becomes a part of the church that's there. And he starts to learn, but then he starts to then teach and preach. And this, we get this little tidbit here in Acts eleven twenty six. It says, and in Antioch, disciples were first called Christians. Christian wasn't the name that we came up with. It was the name the world came up with. They started looking at us, and you, they were like, hey, like a bunch of little Jesuses. You're doing all the stuff Jesus did. That's what Christian means, little Christ. And so here we are today doing this. We're to be making disciples. So Jesus' next part, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Jesus' next portion of Luke 6 deals with this exact concept. There's going to be two principles. And you're going to be so thankful today because I had my sermon all ready to go, and I cut it in half this morning. <laughs> now there's a little bit too much cheer in there. Split it in half. I'm going to deal with the first two parts this week, these first two things. Right after he gets done talking about judging and not to judge, he says this next, verse 39. He also told them a parable, the saying, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, this is, these are rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's assumed. Yeah, and you know what the answer should be. I bet you know. I'm going to ask the first question. You're going to answer what the, what the obvious answer is. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Oh, guys, wow. That was pathetic. It's, a, it's an assumed answer, so I want you to answer it, though. 
Can a blind man lead a blind man? No. Now, if, you have a, if, you, if you're familiar with the uh, breed of human called teenager, you will know that they always find some way to work around that. And so, you know, in fact, some of you have a little bit of a teenager mind in you right now. And so when I said, can a blind man lead a blind man, some of you were like a little teenager in your head went, well, technically, <laughs> right, you could, a blind man could lead a blind man. Yeah, what about that? What about, okay. But I, I think Jesus foresaw all of our inner teenagers, and that's why he asked this next question. And the obvious given answer is this, and put both of these together, and it's just, it has, a, it has an impact that Jesus does not want you to miss. But let me ask the question, will they not both fall into a pit? Yes. Eventually... When blind lead blind, that is going to be the outcome. That's Jesus' point. No matter what your little inner teenager says, <laughs> this is not a good scenario of blind leading blind. I see a lot of blind leading blind. You ever see blind leading blind out in the world? Here, there, there's... Here, here, here let, me give, let me give you an example. How often do you see... Now, don't answer out loud because you'll give yourself away. How often do you see or hear of people that they go, to, they go to the bar Friday night, hanging out, and there's five other guys sitting there that all have ruined their lives, and they haven't gotten them back together yet, and they start giving each other advice. That, my friends, is the blind leading the blind. Example number two. I'm a high school teacher. You know how often high school kids go get advice from other high school kids? Now, there's some high school kids that have some wits about them, but for the most part, their brains are not fully developed, and the adults around them are going, I've been there, I've done what you, that's a bad idea. And they're like, I don't know. And then they go to one of their buddies, should I do that? Yeah, man, let's do it. Blind leading the blind. Lesson number one for today. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Be careful when choosing your leader. You want a leader with their eyes open to the truth. You want to follow somebody that has their eyes opened to the truth. One of the pastors, as I was looking into this, he put it this way. Uh, one of the pastors I read, he said, if your leader is blind, then you will follow him into whatever pit or hole he walks into. If your leader sees with moral clarity, then you will follow him into righteousness. Now, some will say at this point, especially in the world that we live in today. Why follow Jesus? That's good. That's, what, that's, where, that's where we're all supposed to be, disciples of Christ, following Jesus. But Jesus himself absolutely said, what are we to do? If you, so if you're following Jesus, you're listening to Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Make other disciples. Our disciple making that we do is really pointing people to Christ. But here's the thing. You can't get around the, the fact that there's some part that other humans play as a go-between. As we're learning about Christ, there's human beings between Christ and us. 
If you don't believe what I say, think about this for a second. Every single piece of information that you have from Jesus and have about Jesus comes secondhand, at least. You know, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't, I don't like during the week when I'm like, what am I supposed to preach? I don't go to Jesus and go, I need some new revelation. I need some new piece of information. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to this book that has relayed. So those first disciples wrote down what he did for us to know how he lived and what he did so we can begin to emulate him. And so all we do is we point to this. The word, the testament about Jesus, old and new, the whole thing is about him. Jesus himself, after he was resurrected, he told some of his disciples, he went, started going through the Old Testament. He says, he tells them, he starts showing them, it's all about me. And when you start to understand that, by the way, that's how you start to really understand the Bible. When you start to realize this whole thing, front to back, is about Jesus. All the way back to the beginning was just pointing to the Savior that was coming. And then this New Testament is about them going, oh! And then going, look what he did! And here's how we ought to live based on what he did. Look at look what he did. The Word. Jesus himself is called the living Word. The embodiment of God. Follow Jesus. Well, think about what the Word says. I'll give you a few examples. Some people say, well, I just follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. And I don't, you know, I don't need these other people. But consider this. We know that Jesus established the church, did he not? The church is his body, his bride, which I always throw in at this point. When people say they love Jesus and they don't love the church, I go, you don't love Jesus then. Because I know how I would react if somebody says, I like Matt, but I can't stand charity. That never happens, by the way. But I tell you what, you know, you know what would happen? Do you, do you think at all I would think that person actually had any understanding of even what I'm about? If you don't love my wife, you have no idea who I am. And I would say the same thing is true of Christ and his bride, the church. And people that go, oh, I love Jesus, but they don't go to church and they don't attend a church and they're not a part of a church. I go, baloney. You don't know Jesus if you don't love his bride, Period. Paul the Apostle talks about not only being his bride, but his body himself, his embodiment of who he is on this earth. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says he's talking about when Christ ascended. Remember what, the thing that he said when he ascended? He says, go and make disciples. He says, after he ascended, the first thing that he did, it says, he ascended, then he gave gifts to men. Ephesians chapter 4 said he says that he gave gifts to men. So these people down here, he gave them gifts. Listen to the gifts that he gave. They're people. He gave what? Apostles, prophets. Right in here. Their writings. Evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He gave people and the roles that they play. That word shepherd is the same word as the word for pastor. The evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We got people that have informed you about the good news of God. That word evangelist is talking about the good news. Evangelists are telling you who God is and informing you about them. The pastor is confronting you, and then you've got teachers who are explaining things to you on an ongoing basis. 
And how are we to respond for trusting this same Jesus that says, be a part of a church, be a part of my body. And here's the gifts I gave you to guide you. What ought we to do? Hebrews 13 puts it very well. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, which, by the way, I take very seriously. I genuinely, I've thought about this verse many times. I genuinely believe that when I stand before God, I'm going to give an account how I've shepherded, pastored all of you. That's something that the leaders stand up and, and do these things. There's a certain level of accountability that most will not have to face. Makes me not want to do it sometimes. <laughs> but this is a very real reality. But think about your responsibility in connection to that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They're the ones keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, I shouldn't have to. Oh, come on, just go to church. Seriously, though, to some, how do we do this? Following Jesus through these people that God has blessed them with. Obey, submit in a way that brings joy. Their accounting is to God. Follow Jesus. What does this look like? I'm going to get a little bit more practical here. And this is why I trimmed this down today because I thought I, I could just dwell right here. What's this look like? <clears throat> I'll give you three things, four things, I'm sorry. Number one, this looks like starting off by picking a church that preaches the word. Right? If I'm not preaching the word, leave. You should leave. You don't pick a church, you shouldn't pick a church. It's because the, the pastor is an excellent speaker that captures your attention. Think about what the preacher says. If I, if I get to the point where I'm not preaching the word, well, I would say before you just go, you should start by confronting me. I think there's a lot of you having to look in your Bibles too, isn't there? At some point, you've got to stop being babies and coming to church wanting to get spoon-fed. There should be some chewing. He's giving us some meat today. I'm going to chew on it. That means you go afterwards at, when you're at lunch. You're talking about what I said today. Is that really what God says? Should I be doing those things? How am I living up to this stuff? Am I, to be quite honest, am I, am, is, is Matt telling me these things? Is, am I bringing him joy in my obedience? But pick a church that preaches the word, that opens up the word of God and says this is what it says this is what jesus says number two then go go as much as you can going to church ought to become more important to you than a grocery trip i don't know how many people i know right now that they can find some way to get out to the grocery store but they can't seem to figure out how to get to church on Sunday morning. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here. 
which by the way, some of you have great singing voices and you should, you should uh, just, I love it, man, there's some of you, I can hear you echoing in the back of my head and it drowns me out and I'm like, good stuff, how to get some more of you up here, but go regularly, consistently, go, learn, read, study, and go again. I know that it's kind of an outdated phrase. But going every time the doors were open, as many of our parents required, really wasn't all that bad of a thing to do. And some of you go, it was so legalistic. Maybe. But you know what? It was still good to be there. And some of you, in fact, so many people I talked to today, even from their childhood, those stories come back. The stories of what, what David did with Goliath and Gideon. And Lazarus rising from the dead. And Peter walking on the water. And stumbling and starting to sink. And Jesus grabbing him. And you remember those things stuck in there somehow. We tend to go into the direction of feeling legalistic about things, but I'm telling you right now, find a church that preaches the word, go to it. You got kids, make them go. If they go, so legalistic, say, no, I'm not. You're an idiot. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that last part in your head. You keep that going. Inside, inside, inside. Quiet voice. <laughs> Church is where God's doing something. This is his organi organization. It's his body. It's his bride. Nobody ought to be called a Lone Ranger Christian, which I'm going to get into a little bit more in a minute. Number three, go on regularly, listen, learn, and obey. Find ways to obey. Just find ways to obey. I try, I don't do a perfect job at it all the time, but I try to give you some application points. That those are things that you're, you're, you're coming to church, you're hoping, your hope is that God works this miracle of taking this inspired word, using a fallible human being to pinpoint some things that you might need to hear today. And, and so then you, when you hear them, don't automatically think. Now sometimes, I'm going to admit, sometimes it's for the person over there. It really nailed them in a different way than it nailed you. But, but don't just assume that. Start by saying, what's a way that I could maybe be doing this better? Find ways to be obedient to the word. And then finally, go forth and make disciples. Start taking those things that you learn and telling others. Right? That's the Great Commission. Making disciples. Leon Morris, when he writes in his commentary on this, he says about this particular verse, it's a warning to be careful whom we follow, but there's also a warning about the leadership Jesus' Jesus's followers will exercise. The Christian cannot hope to act as guide to others unless he himself sees clearly where he's going. And so as you begin to see, as you begin to see those clearly, that God is opening your eyes and you're going, there's the truth. And this is how, and, and sometimes it's amazing how God will reveal some little truth to you. Have you ever had that moment? 
Maybe it was reading the word. Maybe it was at church and you're hearing the preaching and there's some little thing and some little phrase or some aspect of the truth of the word of God in it, and it sinks in and then you start to obey it. And that, that, see that moment, have you ever noticed it feels like an opening of the eyes? And then what do we, what do we usually say when you have those moments? Ah, oh. I was, I'll share you one from this morning. I was reading Leviticus. Actually, let me find it here real quick. I was reading through Leviticus um, recently. I don't know if I can turn pages and talk at the same time. No, Lamentations. I'm sorry, not Leviticus. Lamentations. And I got to chapter 3. And uh, the, the title of it in my Bible says, Great is Your Faithfulness. You ever heard that old song, the old hymn? So that's what it says. And so I was sitting there this morning, and I, I thought, you know, getting ready to do some more study. But I try to read before I before I do my study. Sat down, I was reading this, and this "Great is Your Faithfulness" part starts off with verse one says, "I am the man who has seen affliction," and then it goes on from verse one. All the way to verse 18, and a little bit further, talking about all these terrible things. Verse 2, has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. It just goes, again, terrible, bad. And I was reading, I'm going... I think this is a typo in the title. This should have been like, my life is terrible. And it kept going. Kept going. And get to verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. What's the great is your faithfulness? Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this God... did all these things too. When I read that and I hit that verse, because I, I, you know, it's funny how I've read this before, but it just didn't jump out. And that great is your faith. I mean, how, how often do we say, I've heard it, in fact, I heard it this morning, God is great is his faithfulness. I heard somebody say, his mercies are new every morning. And that's where that verse comes from. That verse is wrapped up right in the middle. In fact, it goes back and talks about some other terrible things after that. That verse was wrapped up in the middle of hardship that this person understood, Jeremiah understood, God had poured out onto his life. I read it this morning and I, I felt like a little scale came up and I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I mean, those are truths that I knew, but then sometimes you, you see it a little bit more clearly. It's kind of like when you got the microscope and you're focusing in, and you ever looked through a microscope or a telescope, and like you adjust a little bit, and all of a sudden it becomes into clear, clarity. You can see it. 
But when they see those things, and your eyes have been opened, you have an opportunity to now lead others to that truth. And I want to say, it primarily happens in how you live. Not always in what you say, but it starts off in how you live. Because if you know that truth, and then I, I'm like, mad, frustrated. And then I say, but you know, God is good all the time. People that know you go, I don't think you think that. <laughs> but if you go through life and people are like, how are you doing today? And like, I'm, I'm just blessed today. And God has been so good. And, and especially when I, I look at like the, the Epling family, and what they went through, the, that heartache and that tragedy. And, but and they can still say in the middle of that, right in the, the depths of it, that God is good. You go, he must be. One more verse today. Verse 40. This one it ties in so closely with that last one. A blind, the blind, can the blind lead the blind? No. Will they both end up falling in a pit? Yep. This next one goes right almost hand in hand it overlaps a little bit a disciple Jesus says this next a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher Philip Ryken one of the commentaries I was reading said this about it obviously it was and is very important to choose the right teacher a beginning student can never hope to rise above the wisdom of his teacher in spiritual things. Which, before you read the rest of that, stay with me for a second. This goes back to that concept. For them, this is so much more clearly true because they didn't have ways to gather knowledge. In fact, many people didn't have a, a text that they could look at from Scripture. And so, for them, it, the, the, the flow of knowledge was coming through who they aligned themselves under, what rabbi they chose, their master. That's where they were getting their information. For us, this is a little bit different, but I want to talk about that in just a second, but just keep this in mind as we're reading this. A beginning student could never hope to rise above the wisdom of his teacher in spiritual things. That would be the height of arrogance for them. That was the, the height of arrogance. The most that he could hope was to become like his teacher, and he would only reach that goal when he was fully trained. When a disciple chose which master he wanted to follow, he was choosing what kind of person he would become. So much truth wrapped up right in that. As you choose your master, Christ, you're, you're saying, that's, that's what I want to become, like him. But for us, there's many sources of teaching. That's our reality, and so I can't skip over this. Let's talk about it for a moment. There's many sources of teaching. From books, to the internet, to the songs we listen to and the shows that we watch. All those things teach things to us. Do they not? Let me ask a question before I go on. Do I, do I have to prove that point to anybody? Okay. It, it, it's, it's fascinating how, 
how that happens. Like you watch these things and, and you're pouring it into your mind all the time. And it, it's fascinating how it has an impact on how you think. The stories that you watch, the songs that you listen to, the lyrics that, that are being said. I, I, I enjoy my classic rock as much as the next guy, but there's some junk that's telling you some terrible things. And according to this, it's going to have an impact. A teacher, those teachers, plural, you start to become like. So the second lesson, I'm going to put this way. Lesson one, choose. But lesson two, pay attention to who you, and I thought about putting the word actually in there, who you actually follow. There's plenty of people that come to church and they go, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But when it comes right down to it, how they actually choose to live isn't based on the scriptures that they've learned, whether they got it from church or reading it on their own, or regardless, that's not how they choose to live. They choose to live based on the advice they got from their buddy or the TV show I saw this work out this way or Dr. Phil or, you know, and you start, this is how I'm going to live. Pay attention to you. Who are you? Whose teachings are you actually in reality following? What good does it do to say I follow Jesus and did not do anything he says? I think there's a verse that actually says that. Why do you call me Lord? If you don't do anything I tell you to do. <laughs> Pay attention to who you follow, really. John, the beloved disciple, puts it this way. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. One of the ways that I, we were talking about regrets. Here's one I did good, though. I did, I, did, I did a couple good things as a parent. Here's one. We used to watch TV, and we'd watch something, and some show would come on, and it'd be like, so, 10 million years ago, this, and I'd go, what did we do? Lie. <laughs> you guys remember that? <laughs> they would get, they'd go, 10 million years ago when this evolved into, I was like, lie. I just, we'd just be sitting there and go, lie, it's a lie. What was I really doing? I'm, I tested the spirit. That was a lie. I mean, I love watching this show about this bird. That's interesting. But, and I, I, you know, you ever watch some of those shows and like, the wing was perfectly designed to be able to do this thing. And it took 10 million years to evolve it. Wait, you said designed. <laughs> you can see it's clearly an amazing piece of engineering. And you, then you, oh. rabbit trail but test the spirits see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world there's a lot of false things out there a lot of false voices false spirits of things and ideas that are out there jesus again and again warned of beware the false prophets beware the false prophets and in the last days there's going to be a lot of them and they're tricky. Oh, they're tricky. I, I wish false prophets came with like, they always wore like red horns or something, you know. I mean, they, they don't go around with a sign like, I'm a false prophet. <laughs> I'm going to destroy your soul. They don't do that. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come to you and say, let me tell you, I can get your best life right now. Ooh, that's a sneaky lie, isn't it? Jesus says, come follow me and you'll most likely die. In fact, I know you will, but how will you? And will you be faithful to the end? I'm offering you eternal life. Follow me now and people may hate you. That's what Jesus taught. Test the spirits. If you got some teacher that's telling you, Jesus tells you if you do everything right, it's going to be so wonderfully good and you're going to get the car that you wanted and the house you wanted and the kids you wanted and the, the spouse you wanted. Everything's going to go so smooth. You know what you should do? Do what I did when I was watching those shows. Lie! Second Corinthians, Paul talks about this in some detail. He's talking about these false teachers. He says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Not like they ditched that name, right? They can hold on to that. And no wonder, no surprise, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Be careful. Pay attention. Test the spirits. Who are you listening to? Is it really the word of God? Do this to me. I hope that you do this to me all the time. I hope that you don't just go, well, Matt said... I hope you go, Matt said this, and I looked in the word, and it was true. And according to Jesus, your end will correspond to that end as well. Paul's command to Timothy, when he told Timothy to preach the word, he says this to Timothy, this young pastor. He said, you've got to preach the word. Stay diligent. Preach the word, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I can't really take it. The sound teaching, I can't take it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What does this look like? Well, let me start. Stop attending YouTube church. There's some good stuff. There's a lot of junk. Some of you are not careful enough with what you're watching. Even this preacher, that preacher, this preacher, that. But it sounds like, are, is it really? In fact, let me get into a little bit more detail here as I close this up. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. This is something you can't do on YouTube church. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, Matt, Charity, us, we're under a microscope. 
if, if what Matt is actually doing and living doesn't match up with what's going on here, I shouldn't be following him. If I'm pointing you to the Jesus, though, you ought to be scrutinizing a little bit on me. Consider, how's that turning out for him? Consider this one I read a minute ago. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, but notice the rest of it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You see what's going on here? Those, those, those people is to, to grow, build up, full maturity, until you're fully trained, like Jesus said, and then you'll be like him. Lesson one, be careful when choosing your leader. Don't follow blind guides. Go to church that preaches the word. Actually go. Obey and submit to the teaching. Lesson two, pay attention to who you're actually following. I threw the actually in there for you that time. Stop attending YouTube church. It's not church. Filter everything through the word of God that you hear. You get to actually know your pastors and teachers. Examine and then imitate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, again for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the, our great teacher that we can all look to. Lord, I'm thankful, personally, I'm thankful, Lord, that as I seek to lead as the pastor of this church, that really my job is just pointing to you, and it's not about me, and I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I ask that you'd help me to live up to the words that I teach, but then I ask that you'd be with all that are in this room, that you would help them to live up to these words as well, and to to live and do because we're all just looking to you to be like our Savior, to follow you and then to emulate you in this world. I ask now that you would bless us with the grace necessary to be good followers and good leaders. In Christ's name, amen.